0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. We're hearing a lot about blackface lately, of all things. Virginia's governor, Ralph Northam, and the state's attorney general have both admitted to coloring their faces in jest at some point in the past. Florida's Secretary of State also resigned recently after a photo surfaced of him mocking Hurricane Katrina victims in blackface so here's a question isn't this so outrageous and so offensive that we shouldn't even have to explain why it's unacceptable and what is it about american culture about white american culture in particular that continues to preserve this space for this kind of crude mockery that's what we want to talk about this hour this whole idea of mocking black people by painting your face black. And we wanna hear from you. Do you think there's any scenario where this is okay? Do you think there's an element of hyper-political correctness playing a role in our collective reaction to things like this? Or do you think it's absolutely appropriate to demand consequences for people who wear offensive costumes. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. And our first guest today is here to help us make some sense of why and how this keeps happening. Adam Harris is a staff writer at The Atlantic. He's the author of an article from Halloween of last year that was titled, America Can't Seem to Kick Its Racist Costume Habit. Adam Harris, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So let's start uh, with this article that you wrote uh, last last Halloween. I'm going to read a quick excerpt from it uh, you say cultural exchange is rarely the argument made in the aftermath of such events the it didn't occur to me argument is more common despite an annual cycle of offenses apologies and claims of unawareness and on campuses regardless of routine efforts by administrators and fellow students alike to nip any offensive costume ideas in the bud the incidents are guaranteed to happen anyway. News outlets may just as well have a skeleton post titled College Student Facing Discipline After Blackface Incident Pre-Written and Waiting on Halloween. So uh, the, the idea that this is prevalent, if not outright common, I think is something that that I think maybe catches people by surprise. The idea that that a century after Al Jolson, uh, we are still dealing with the the, the the concept that white people paint their faces black as a joke.
1: Yeah, and even even as recent as a couple of weeks ago, you had an incident at the University of Oklahoma where uh, a white student was on Snapchat and she had painted her face black and, and she says the N-word and uh, it, it creates this spark on campus where, you know, it's it's kind of hard to separate this this history of of racism and, and slavery and kind of these legacies um that one universities have but also that the United States has writ large. Um it's hard to separate that and, and say that, oh, I, I didn't know that this was an offensive thing to put to put blackface on because it it's it's kind of um intrinsically or intricately tied.
0: So so let's talk about why this kind of costume, why this kind of behavior is so offensive. I, I'm not sure that, that everybody gets that there is uh, a very deep and troubling history behind all of this, and that for African Americans, uh, that history is not just uh, something that offends us, it's, it, it's frightening, it's scary.
1: Yeah, and blackface, of course, grew out of uh, minstrelsy and minstrel performances in the 1800s, um, which was a form of kind of popular imitation or popular um, entertainment that was rooted in kind of the mimicry of black people uh, and plantation slaves in in particular, and the fact that that. Continues um, is is kind of continuing that legacy of mimicry of black people, um, regardless of if someone says, "Oh, you know, I, I didn't know that this was an offensive thing." There is a history there that that is in the mocking of, of black people. You know, if you're dressing up like Michael Jackson and you have the glove on and you have you know uh, you're doing the kick and you're, you're you're moonwalking, you don't need blackface to sell that costume. There's there's something people that's, know who you are exactly. Right? <laughs> people will know who you are. So. Adding, adding the blackface has a history that that kind of Americans recognize as as a racist history,
0: and and so we're talking right now about politicians who are uh, caught, you know, in photos from the past uh, doing this, but but uh, they are doing it in a college context, and you are writing about uh, last Halloween, and in, in fact. Uh, this happening in a in a college context how have how have the institutions that that see these things how how do they deal with this not just responding to the incidents but i guess uh, outside of halloween talking about you know why you shouldn't paint your face dark well
1: the 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 thing is that institutions they you know we've seen guides um you know Prior to Halloween, during the year, they're like, "Hey, guys, these things are offensive. Try to think about the entire campus community. Different things like that." Um, but one of the one of the interesting things here, right, where people are now going through old yearbooks, and you saw this this photo on, um, from the University of North Carolina that was circulating yesterday from 1979, where you have two people in KKK hoods and, and one person in blackface and a noose was around their neck. Um, Universities have been grappling with their histories and legacies of racism and slavery for for the last um, two decades, and and trying to really understand what that means. Um, but but one point that kind of keeps coming up is that it it doesn't end in eighteen sixty five. It's it's kind of this continuum of a legacy of of that that history that that continues to today. And and kind of honestly grappling with that is something that we as a country kind of haven't really done. Um, racism is an uncomfortable conversation to have, and it's a conversation that a lot of people shy away from,
0: and, and even when we try to have that conversation, in some instances, uh, the defense is, "Well, it's not offensive. It, that was okay when I was a kid, as long as you're dressing like a character." That's something that Megyn Kelly, uh, a former anchor on NBC, uh, recently said. Uh, th- there, there is this part of white culture in this in this country that still wants to excuse. This behavior in some circumstances,
1: yeah. The and the excuse that that was that was okay when I was a kid is is honestly a little bit it's a little bit misplaced because it was only okay because you didn't associate with anyone who said it wasn't okay. There were, there were always black people who were saying that this isn't okay. This mocking of of minorities is not an okay thing. Um, and culturally, I think we've we've grown to the point where you know, as as Jamel Bowie put it in the New York Times, you know this this is kind of the tip of the iceberg. Now we acknowledge that blackface generally is the wrong thing to do, but there's all of these, there are these other layers of kind of racist attitudes and racism uh, that, that we're not addressing um, where if someone's has a picture in blackface, now it's kind of a given that they should resign for the post if they're a public person. Um, but, that can't be the only barometer for for kind of addressing racism is, is oh was there a picture of you in blackface because mm-hmm. that's the most obvious example
0: mm-hmm. uh, my guest is adam harris he's staff writer at the atlantic and author of an article from halloween last year titled America Can't Seem to Kick Its Racist Costume Habit. We're talking about the issue of blackface, which we are seeing make a sort of surprising, maybe resurgence in politics in Virginia, both the governor there and the attorney general admitting that they have painted their face dark in the past as a way of jesting about African-Americans. We want to know from you if you think that there's any way or any scenario under which Blackface is okay. Uh, Do you think there are certain times when that might be funny or just a harmless kind of joke? Uh, Or do you think uh, there's an element of hyper-political correctness going on uh, that says, hey, we can't have fun anymore. We can't do the things that we used to do. Also, do you think if public officials admit that they've done this kind of thing, should they be resigning? Should that be the end Of their political careers or is that too much of a reaction Um, as always the number on the phones is 313-577-1019 you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today and we'll work you into the conversation no surprise we've got a lot of comments already queued up Claudio on Twitter says why is it okay when blacks imitate white what about the Wayans brothers we have to stop making a big issue of innocent behavior it's not done to be offensive uh adam before we get to the phones uh i, I want you to address that comment what wh- wh- why is it not the same uh when african americans for instance do this same kind of thing
1: the performative blackface experience is something that's rooted in slavery uh, it's it's actually rooted in slavery and and kind of that that performative experience and and painting yourself black and mocking black people is something that has such this long has this long kind of tail right where it starts in slavery and it's continued to today and i think that the the difference there is that as america dresses its past and its roots of slavery and racism kind of blackface is it holds a special place right which is why people end up resigning when when you've you found a picture of them in blackface or when they perform blackface or the the Florida Secretary of State has a photo of himself mocking a Katrina victim in blackface um, there's there's a very strong legacy and tied to history there um, that I think is kind of unmistakable
0: and and we, we hear this this uh, trope sort of uh, come out a lot when We talk about things that uh, white America does or white Americans do that are offensive or harmful. And they say, well, I see black people doing that, too. And the danger there is is the false equivalence, I guess, of of our history. It's 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 not putting into context the fact that uh, that African-Americans were not treated equally and not seen even as equals under the law in this country for most of its history and that uh, um, uh, behavior among African-Americans that sort of either tries to embrace things that might have been hurtful in the past or mock those are are not on the same level as things that reinforce the inequality that's baked into into our
1: system exactly and and there even even for things um, like you know where you have a movie with the Wayans brothers. um, Typically, you're not going to find photos from the 1970s or 1980s of black people with chalk on their face kind of playing, playing white people. That's just not a, it's not kind of a a historical thing. And it also kind of there is that power dynamic where we're still trying to root out this this systemic inequality. um, And blackface is one of those other things that that's kind of baked into this this racism that is propping up that system.
0: Yeah. Let's take a couple of calls here. Uh, Jeffrey in Detroit, you're up first. What's on hey, your mind? Hey, how you doing this morning? Hey, Jeffrey.
2: Good. Um, so I took my mom and dad to Cornwall in the UK about five years ago, and we were doing a little tour around Cornwall. It's my mom. And we w- went to a town on the coast, stopped into some pubs, and there was a... a a marching band that came in and they were all uh, had blackface on. Um, We didn't understand what was going on at first. And we kind of quietly left that pub and went to a different one. And then they ended up coming to that one. But more people were behind this marching band, uh, kids, adults, old, young with blackface. And we questioned them, you know, why they were doing that. They said that They do it once a year because back when slavery was still rampant uh, in the UK that the farmers wanted their workers to be able to go to the pub with them and the pub owners wouldn't let them. So they decided to all paint their faces black one day and go into the pub. And if they were served drinks, you know, even though their faces were painted black, then that was a push to desegregate these pubs in Cornwall. I don't agree with it that they're uh, maintaining this celebration. But I I do think that, generally speaking, uh, everywhere else in the world probably doesn't have as big of an issue as the United States does. Obviously, our our slavery roots are much deeper and, and more drawn out, I think. Um, yeah. But I, I just another perspective is always trying to give you. Yeah,
0: I I really appreciate that, uh, Jeffrey. And what, uh, your story reminds me of uh, uh, of Natchez, Mississippi, which is where my father is from, and a place that I've gotten to know a little better over the last couple of years. And and a festival that they have there that that kind of celebrates uh, antebellum days. They call it Pilgrimage, uh, and people dress up. Uh, as though, uh, as though it's eighteen, the eighteen forties or fifties, uh, and and African Americans dress as uh, as servants and and slaves. And again, everyone kind of says, "Well, this is just something we've done for a really long time. There's no offense intended." Uh, but uh, if you go and see this or look at pictures of it, I think uh, it's a reminder of how far we have not quite gotten uh, away from all of that. Uh, Adam Harris, I'm wondering about your reaction to Jeffrey's comments.
1: Well it, it should be noted that they're even, even in kind of the UK um, they also have this, this kind of history uh, with with either dolls or, or plays that that do kind of exaggerate a black experience where um you have like the the gullywog doll um that, that kind of surfaced in in the uk um that that had kind of exaggerated lips and they were like these massive lips and they were they were very pink and you had this very black face and you had these this the hair on the gullywog and and that is kind of an exaggeration um, or a caricature of, of black people. So they're kind of across the spectrum there. Historically, there have been these these portrayals and these caricatures of black people um, that, that kind of still play into this this history and legacy that we're still kind of grappling with.
0: today. OK, Adam Harris, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation with an author who says white parents need to do a better job addressing racism with their kids to get rid of this epidemic of blackface. You want to stay tuned to that and stay with us on the phones. Aaron in Detroit, Bretton in Ypsilanti, Neil at Selfridge Air Force Base. We'll get to you as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking today about blackface and the frequency with which this kind of racial mockery is still indulged among white Americans. One of the real questions in all of this, though, is where is this learned? And can we do a better job with children teaching them not only about racial sensitivity, but the weight of history? How can white parents be sure their kids grow up with enough racial awareness to avoid the kind of mistakes we're witnessing in Virginia with politicians, for instance? Joining us now to talk more about how we raise our kids and how we teach them about race is Jennifer Harvey. She's a professor of philosophy and religion at Drake University and author of a book called Raising White Kids, Bringing Up Children in a Racially Unjust America. Jennifer Harvey. Welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Good morning, Stephen. Thank you so much.
0: So let's start here. Are white children, by and large, being raised in this country to be insensitive to the experiences of children of color?
3: Yes, I would say that they are. And I would say that that's not necessarily because most white parents um, have that intention, but there is so much white silence in U.S. American white families that Kids, especially knowing that most children, white children, grow up in really segregated communities, kids are just not getting the racial education that they need and that they deserve and that, frankly, kids of color need white children to have. And so I would say yes.
0: Uh, And is this a cultural problem, an education system problem, a personal family problem, or some combination of all of those things? When we talk about how kids learn about these things, where is it that we see the 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 point of interdiction
3: you know it certainly is a combination and it does of course in some ways start at home if if parents or caregivers of of white children are not talking about race with them then we are already setting our children up to just sort of take in the racism that's in the air in US American society so racism is everywhere in our system And if it's not at home where we're talking with race about our kids so that we can have anti-racist conversations with them, then we sort of set them up to um, take in those messages. But, of course, it also happens at school. So silence at home then means that if they hear things at school, if they hear things out in society, they're less likely to know that, oh, my parents, we need to be, we're going to unpack this when I get home. And so it's a combination, but certainly there's much that can be done if we start at home letting our kids know we're ready able and desiring to have conversations with them about race constantly.
1: And,
0: and one of the things you talk about is your own daughter and the way in which you felt you had to kind of intervene yeah. to interject the, the racial context of our history when she was learning about George Washington.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah, and this is very common, that our children will learn about U.S. American history young. I mean, my kid was in second or third grade when this happened. She learned about George Washington, Separately, she learned about enslavement of African peoples, but her wonderful teacher, and this is very common, had not ever talked about, oh, how do we think about George Washington, who we celebrate but as a nation, but who also enslaved black people. And when I heard her talking about George Washington in this uncomplicated way, I thought, wow, I don't want her in fifth and sixth grade, her deep friendships with kids of color in her life to be harmed because she can't identify with the histories that, in many cases, their families are appropriately teaching them about this complicated relationship with race, complicated is an understatement, for Mm. all of our quote-unquote founding fathers. And so I wanted her young, just like her peers of color are learning, to have to wrestle with that legacy that we are all inheriting. Uh,
0: So when you write a book like this, uh, you're confronting an issue that uh, a lot of people would either say isn't an issue or they just don't want to talk about it. I, yes. I, I wonder what kind of reactions you got from white parents uh, when when you told them, hey, I, I'm writing about this and, and I might want to ask you some questions or talk to you about it.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I, you know, it may be that I ended up with kind of a self-selected audience um, because I've been lots of spaces where um, working on anti-racism is sort of assumed to be important work that we all do together in multiracial ways. But I would I would tell you that I have had lots and lots of white parents say to me, "I want to do better and raise a generation, uh, be part of raising a generation of children who don't do." Um, what we see, you know, what we see, uh, who don't do, don't commit racist acts, who know how to function well in diversity, who understand um, diverse cultures and know how to be respectful and and have meaningful relationships. And so I actually have had a lot of white parents say, I just don't know how to do it. And that's a generational cultural problem. And so to that end, lots of white parents I've been engaged with have been really grateful for Mm -hmm. some really concrete, look, here's how we can talk about difference with a, third, a three-year-old. Here's how we can talk about racism with a five-year-old. Um, if, if parents of children of color are doing this at age five, white parents can too, and we just have to develop a skill set that most of us were not raised um, being taught as we were coming up. And so we can do better. We need to hold on to each other tight and just commit to raising a different generation than what's come before.
0: Uh, I'm talking with Jennifer Harvey she's a professor of philosophy and religion at Drake University and she's the author of a book called Raising White Kids, Bringing Up Children in a Racially Unjust America. We're talking more generally this hour about blackface. uh, The news out of the state of Virginia and out of Florida about politicians being caught uh, years ago in photos coloring their faces in jest as part of Halloween costumes or other parties. Uh, Is there ever an instance in which this kind of behavior is okay? And how do we teach our children to be more racially sensitive and not susceptible to thinking these kinds of things might be funny? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Neil at Selfridge Air Force Base. Neil, welcome to Detroit today.
4: Hi, Stephen. Thanks hey. for taking my call. I appreciate sure. it. Um, unfortunately, w- everything I was going to say was already handled by both of your uh, <laughs> guests already. That's okay. Um, but I was just, the main thing I was going to ha- ha- chime in on was that, uh, unfortunately, with a lot of uh, people in the white culture, they don't really have anything that is as. Uh, soul-breaking, I guess you could say, or hard to deal with as black people have had to deal with when it comes to being in this country, when it comes from slavery and trying to move up and become equal members of our uh, society here. And uh, so it's like they don't know the pain that's involved with it. And it's hard to explain that to them because they don't have anything that's that painful to them in their culture. Um, and unless they happen to be of the Jewish persuasion, or they go back to something that happened with the, like the Irish famine and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. neither of those things i don 't think is as as severe as what happened with uh, the migration i 'm sorry not migration the the capture and taking of black people from Africa and coming to America mm-hmm. and being the treatment that they were for the long uh, for the long time frame that 's in there and um, the other thing too was just that um Hum- they think it's humorous. Mm-hmm. They think it's funny. Uh, when Trayvon Martin was killed, that's, that Halloween that came after that, there was, a, there was photos of people dressing up in blackface. With hoodies. With hoodies on. Sure. And they were walking around with sk- Skittles and iced tea. And then they would have someone standing next to them, either with an actual weapon pointing at them or having their uh, fingers, as, you, you, know, as you, know how, you know how you make a weapon, a, a gun, at the person's head, and that person was wearing a, a shirt that said Neighborhood Watch. They think it's funny that that, and that's the problem. That,
0: uh, Neil, I'm 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 glad you brought that point up because uh, I I think that's one of the more peculiar aspects of this. Uh, the the idea that it is funny to make fun of someone like Trayvon Martin, the idea that it's funny to make fun of Hur- Hurricane Katrina victims, or uh, to make fun of uh, an African American who's who might be in peril from uh, somebody who's wearing a, a hood and is a member of the of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, Jennifer Harvey, that that gets to, a, I, I think, a deeper cultural question about humor yeah. uh, and and about how race plays a role in humor. That, that somehow we we see some white Americans arriving <clears throat> at the conclusion that the, the the difficulty, the pain that African-Americans have suffered in this country is funny.
3: Yeah, and I, you know, when I hear the language from Neil of soul breaking, it makes me think about part of our work. Those of us who are white and who know such things are not funny, and who are in touch with, um, though we can't identify if it's not been our experience. I'm not saying we can identify fully, but we know that it's heart wrenching and soul breaking. We both need to teach our kids and break their souls a little bit. My second grader knows that the reality of police brutality in this country means that people in her life who she loves, who are black, have complicated, devastating relationships with the police. My second grader knows that. We need to allow our children to have their souls broken to a degree so that they can identify and be in relationship with and never get to the point where um, where any where where there's humor when we see racism once we see that we reco- we can say that someone has their humanity has com- has been completely malformed right and you know my second grader knows that you don't dress up like a native person you don't dress up in blackface young children can learn that but part of helping them learn that is helping them be in touch in age appropriate ways with how heart-wrenching and soul-breaking in reality that US American history and today is and we could do that if we choose to do it
0: yeah and neil i really appreciate the call Yeah, thank and you so. the comments uh let's go to charlie in detroit charlie welcome to detroit hey. today
2: hey good morning thanks for taking the call um two two points one i totally agree that it it comes from home it comes from your parents they they set the tone um but also i i feel uh just like the issues about the environment and trying to you know, keep our planet alive, that needs to be taught in school, just like, uh, you know, people not having prejudices and bigotry and all that. Um, That just tears us down, just like we're killing our planet. However, one of the problems we have as a country, I think, is we have a First Amendment that allows people to say and do these things. Maybe we need to rethink that.
0: Uh, Rethink the First Amendment?
2: Well, the way, uh, what, what it can apply to. I mean, certain things, I think, should be said, but you're not allowed to say, you know, fire in a theater. This is akin to the same thing Hmm. in my mind.
0: Wow, Uh, Charlie,
2: from a societal perspective.
0: Yeah, Charlie, I I really appreciate the call and the perspective. Not sure I agree uh, with with rethinking the First Amendment, but I but I certainly get what you're saying about the the volatile nature of these kinds of messages and the messages that they send to other people, and and whether we ought to be thinking maybe differently about how and whether people are. Allowed to do that. Um, uh, Again, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Michael on Facebook says, I think what's also not being discussed is the absolute hypocrisy that Governor Northam committed by having campaign ads of his opponent in 2017 being a racist. Yet now we see the truth. And he had a lot more subtle hints of bigotry. Uh, uh, Jason on Facebook says, here's an idea. If you aren't a descendant of someone who would have worn it, don't use it as a costume. Uh, interesting advice there yeah. as well. Uh, let's go to Brett and Ypsilanti. Brett, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on. Sure. And thanks for having this important discussion. Um, real quick, just going back to the person on Twitter earlier who brought up the Wayne Brothers. Um, if you watch White Whitechicks' movie, you'll see that that is part of the plot line and they're going undercover and it not comparable at all. Um, so that I think just trying to pull up really weak examples of but kind of
0: Brett,
2: opposite of blackface, but Brett, um, let me, let just shows.
0: Yeah. Brett, let me, let me play devil's advocate though for a second. Uh, I think the Wayans brothers example is probably, as you say, kind of a weak one, but, but I can think of other, uh, instances in movies where people are, are doing this, either white people doing it or black people. You think of, uh, 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 Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places, uh, dressing as a Jamaican to try to fool people uh, on a train. Uh, I can think of Drake, the, the, the hip-hop artist who got into some trouble, uh, even though he's African-American, uh, for appearing in a photo shoot with, with blackface. Uh, Jennifer Harvey, I wonder if some of the mixed messaging that we see in in popular culture Maybe complicates some of the things that we need to be saying to our children in the home, you know, about how all of this, how all of this is supposed to work.
3: Sure, I think it it pop culture does complicate things, and I think a picture like we saw from Northam's yearbook is one kind of. I mean, that that blackface um, was also standing next to the KKK, mm-hmm. right? And that's one kind of context horrific in its own right. And then we have these other more complicated, you know, engagements in art and movies and such. And I think part for me, though, that our collective on the white side of things, um, underdeveloped conversation and talking about um, these issues means that we're not even able to engage when complexity does, does emerge. So there are all kinds of examples where blackface completely zero, zero tolerance. Those of us that are white and who know that it's wrong need to have zero tolerance for those, um, we encounter who engage in such behaviors. And so maybe, you know, maybe not first amendment, but if more of us who know it's wrong, speak up and challenge other white people in our life to knock it off, to say no, to address it, um, that would help sort of shift the cultural capacity for a conversation about more complex, um, you know incidents that that show up in various art spaces, which is not me saying blackface is ever okay, but we're very unprepared to have these conversations collectively in white communities or be part of them in multiracial ways mm-hmm. because we aren't. We just don't talk about this enough.
0: You know, I, I also wonder to what extent uh, housing seg- segregation and people's choices Cute. about housing play in this. Right. I I, I always say that the, the the choices about where we live. End up reflecting the way we raise our kids. Uh, I live in a majority African American community because I live in the city of Detroit, and that's where I grew up. Uh, uh, and and my kids though don't have access to a lot of uh, white families in 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 our neighborhood because uh, that uh, those families all left, right? Yeah. Uh, and and so as African Americans, they have to you, you know we have to make an effort. To try to expose them to more uh, to to other cultures, the same thing happens with white families.
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean, we saw that after Trayvon Martin was murdered, that you know, white families or white adults basically said, overwhelmed in a majority, "Oh, this was not race. This was not about race." Um, Whereas African Americans knew it was about race, and a piece of that is how many white people in the United States, because of segregation, choices about housing as well as incentives. The government gave to white families to move out of urban contexts have left white Americans really out of touch with the actual experience of black and brown communities mm-hmm. in, in lots of, you know, in all kinds of contexts in the United States. And that long-term impact is huge for how white kids are being socialized and how white adults show up in the world, too. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, Jennifer Harvey, professor of philosophy and religion at Drake University, author of the book Raising White Kids, Bringing Up Children in a Racially Unjust America. Thanks very much for being with us on Detroit
3: Today. Thank you so much, Stephen.
0: Up next, we're going to talk with the author of a book called Fault Lines, which looks at the modern fissures in our American culture, maybe one of the things that helps explain the persistence of blackface. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Aaron in Detroit, Brian in Livonia, Tom in Northwest Detroit. We will get to you next. We'll be right back.